0: All right, my friends, let's take our Bibles now and turn to the text that Beth read for us early in our uh, service. That's Acts chapter 13, if you turn there, please. Acts chapter 13, if you'd like to use the Bible it's provided for you, find that on page 921, 921, Acts 13. We have experienced this morning what is really anchored in Scripture, and because it's anchored in Scripture, it's timeless. Whatever is in the Scripture is timeless, because God's Word is forever settled in heaven. And so we're experiencing and expressing this morning, this week, in many ways, what is timeless here, found in our text, Acts chapter 13, and what we have here, and he's verses that are described for us in Acts 13 is the image of a local church on mission. It is a local congregation, the Church of Antioch, and it is on mission. And this church is on mission locally, and it's on mission globally. I like to think of it as being a church on mission globally, okay, Just created that word. And I'm allowed to do that. The Apostle Paul did that. And so I'm allowed to do this. Very scriptural. And if you're from Indiana, you create words anyway. And uh, I found out some folks in Tennessee can can create some words too that I've never... uh, You might not find in a lot of dictionaries. You've got to learn how to speak Southern if you're going to come and minister. But today I want us here to look at this passage uh, to see the call from the Holy Spirit and it is a call for every church and it's a call for our church to truly be what we could call a glocal church. A church that is on mission locally here in our own Jerusalem and globally that through the ministry we are having impact to the nations of the earth. Now let's start here as we think about the word mission, word mission. We're in a conference and emphasizing mission. And when you think of the word mission, that is a word that has the idea of it uh, along with many other ideas it has the idea of command. If there is a mission then there is someone who with authority who has defined that mission and sent out people on that mission. So there's the idea of command when you think of mission. And when you think of mission there's the idea of purpose. Uh, Mission is not something that's uh, intangible. It's not something that's imprecise. The idea of mission is clarity. There is a command and there is clarity to what the purpose is. And the idea of mission as well has the idea of victory. That there is a commander who has sent out his people on a mission. They have a purpose and the Lord is after a victory on that mission now i've been trying to think of what modern image might we have of a of a church that is on mission the idea of of command and purpose and victory what kind of modern image might we use and when i was thinking about that i thought maybe of an image like this how about an aircraft carrier huh that's where uh, people are being sent out on mission. They're sent out on a command, under command, on a purpose. They're sent out for, for victory. And the idea of a local church is people being launched out, people being sent out on mission for the Lord. And it's not to conquer in any kind of military way, but it is to conquer through love, right? With devotion to Jesus Christ. But sometimes the mission... <laughs> And the vision in people's minds are not quite aligned. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes the mission for the church and the vision that people have in their minds of what the church is all about are sometimes not aligned. There are, there's a real popular vision of the church. A lot of people had the vision of church, which wouldn't be this kind of vessel. It might be more like this, okay? A Disney cruise ship. You know, this, this is what some people think of the, the, the church. This is the mission of the church. The kids are happy. The parents are happy. The grandparents are happy. Everybody's happy. And we're just cruising and snoozing, all right? We are all happy. And that's the image the vision that some people have in their minds of the church, no matter what they read in the New Testament about mission. This is the idea, the vision that comes to people's minds. Now, often, the condition of a church is sometimes a blend of those. I find sometimes it's a blend that might look a little bit like this. Okay. (laughs) Don't you know that the other nations would tremble when they saw this thing coming at them like whoa no but really a lot of times the church on its mission is a blend of this people have this idea well you know we're kind of cruising and snoozing but there's a few of us that are really getting after it oh yeah yeah we're 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 just laid back and easy but boy some of us are really after it really on the mission and that's some of those special Christians you know on board our church we've got some of those special Christians who are really supposed to go out and do that kind of stuff well when you have a divided vision you've got a problem but think about it when you have a united a united vision and mission where there's alignment when the Mission of the church and the vision in people's minds of the church and the condition of the church all come together. What happens then? Friends, I'll tell you what happens. Miracles happen, miracles happen, victories happen, and the kingdom advances. Do you remember what our Lord Jesus said when he talked to his little handful of disciples after Peter made his great declaration of faith? What did Jesus say? You are Peter. You're just a little stone. But upon this rock, this this rock-like testimony of your declaration of me as the Son of God, the Messiah, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have a backwards image of the church which is not what Jesus said. Many of us have a fortress mentality. We are the church and the world is coming against us. The devil is coming against us. That's the image we have. And that is completely not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the authority of hell will not be able to stand against the onslaught of my people with my gospel. Now that's what Jesus was talking about. And that's what he meant with mission. It is the people of God and with the word of God empowered by the spirit of God taking the name of God going out against the enemy and the enemy is not other people. The enemy is Satan himself and his kingdom. And God is sending us out in his love to burst holes in the darkness and to bring light into the kingdom of darkness. And my friend, I want to tell you, our team wins. Amen? Because he's alive and he has conquered death and hell and he's trampled the head of Satan. Our team's are going to win. But what are we going to be doing? And what are we doing? During this season of kingdom advance. Now this is a historic day. This is a historic day for our church. On this Sunday, March 4th, we're talking about the 2020 vision. We will be talking about that tonight at 5 o'clock. And it is not just for members, but if you like are interested in how God's directing us over the next few years in ministry, invite you to come at 5 o'clock. But I did think about this historic day and thinking about the 2020 vision, and here's what I want us to consider this morning. I want us to consider March 4th on the vision, okay? March 4th on the vision. And I heard some of you groan. Okay, that's all right. You're just upset you didn't think of that, okay? <laughs> March 4th. Today. March 4th. Let's go. On The vision. Now, how do we march forth? You know how you march march forth as a church? You're not going into new ideas and new, new, new areas, you're actually marching backward. Do you want to know how a church can be cutting edge? You know how a church can be cutting edge in the 21st century? To go back to the first century. You can't get more cutting edge than what the Lord said and what He did in the first century. We really, as a church going forward, we need to go back to the future. And so this morning, I want us to look at the church of Antioch here. And I want us to see the timeless example of a local church, a congregation of believers, that were on mission locally and globally and a local church that was sending out sending out local missionaries and a church that was also sending out global missionaries that's what's happening at the church of Antioch now notice these principles quickly i want you to see the principles here in the text of a local church and global local and global missionaries Here's what we find. Here's the principle from this story enshrined in Shrine of Scripture. Number one, it is the church that supplies the missionaries. It is the church that supplies the missionaries. Where do missionaries come from? Missionaries come from the local church. They come from the local church. Why? Because that's the character of the church. The character of the church is a gathering of God's people who are all, whether they recognize it or not, missionaries. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a missionary in the ultimate sense because Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I have chose you and I have sent, chose to send you out that you might bear fruit. Notice the character of the church here in Antioch. Verse one. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now notice. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Do you see that in verse 2? And the word worshiping there is a very interesting word. It means to be working in worship. Working in worship. It's the word used for priests who are worshiping in a temple... and they're working in the temple. That's the word here. The church is a worshiping community. That's what the church is. The church is a worshiping community... With one ultimate Lord. Did you notice that? They were worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping the one true Lord. There's that ultimate Lord, and under that ultimate Lord, look what you see through worship a united people. A united people. Now you say, Sam, how do you know they were united people? I know they were united people, people, first of all, by just looking at their names. Names have meaning. Names tell stories. Look at the names of the prophets, the preachers, and the teachers in this church. There's Barnabas. He's from the island of Cyprus. He's a Jewish man who was raised on a Gentile island. There is Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black. Simeon the black, evidently from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Where is Cyrene? Cyrene is modern-day Libya, the area of North Africa. Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, one of the sons of Herod the Great, a terrible enemy of the people of God, and one of his childhood friends and teenage friends, Manan, became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and a leader in the church. And then there's Saul. Now, if there was one name that should not have been on that list, guess who would have been? Saul of Tarsus. This man hated Jesus. This man was murdering people who worshiped Jesus, putting them in jail Until, guess what? He met the real Jesus. He met the real Jesus. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He had a life-changing experience. Now, think of that. This diversity. You can't have greater diversity than is literally on the staff of this church. Now, how in the world did that happen? How did that happen? Well, look back at chapter 11. Here's how it happened. How did it happen? Some people on mission. Some people got on mission with the love of Christ, and they would not be held back geographically, nationally, ethnically, socioeconomically. They wouldn't be held back by any prejudices. Look what happened. A chur- how did this church come into existence? it came into existence this way because god said all right i told you what did jesus say go into jerusalem judea samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and guess what the church did the church didn't budge even though the lord said this is what i want done church didn't budge they were having too much joy in jerusalem they're enjoying such fellowship they had such close fellowship in Jerusalem. Well, nobody wanted to go out into Samaria. Uh, maybe one or two might go out there. Judea, if few went there, nobody's going to the uttermost parts of the earth. So guess what the Lord lets happen? He lets persecution come. And it is the persecution of the church in Jerusalem that scatters the Christians... ...around the world. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen... ...he was the first martyr, deacon of the church of Jerusalem. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's in the north, north of uh, northern part of Israel beyond its boundaries. And they went to Cyprus, that's an island out in the Mediterranean... And they went to Antioch. That's in modern-day Turkey. But they were speaking the word to none except the Jews. Okay, Lord, we'll go. Okay, we'll go. But it's still us. It's still just us. But there were some of them. There were some of them that climbed into that fighter On the decks of the cruise ship. There were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Some men from the island where Gentiles lived. Others from Cyrene which is in North Africa. Who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That is the Gentiles. Here is a world change right here. I don't know when the first conversation happened. I don't know whether it was at the butcher shop or whether it was at the swimming pool or whether it was at a sporting event, but there was a moment when Jewish believers, for the first time, started talking and sharing their faith with their non-Jewish fellow citizens. And they were preaching the Lord Jesus, proclaiming Him. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Now they're obeying. So the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They said, okay, now wait a minute. We've got to have a committee. Go check this out. We've never done it this way before. Seven last words of the church. And so they send a committee with Barnabas. God bless them. They got a good leader. Barnabas, he's a man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. They sent Barnabas, and he came, and guess what he saw? He didn't see people who didn't dress like people in Jerusalem. He didn't see people who sang different kinds of songs. He didn't see people who ate different kinds of food, though they did. What did he see his eyes were open, so he saw what? The grace of God. He could see things happening that only God could do. He saw the grace of God breaking down all kinds of barriers, all kinds of paradigms that had existed for centuries, came shattering down, and things were being exhibited among these heathen, that only the grace of God could do. And when he saw it, he was glad. (laughs) He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas... He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He said, this is too big for me. I need someone who's a master teacher. I need someone who understands how to share the message of Jesus like no other. Where's Saul? I got to go get Saul. And when he would found him, he brought him to an Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people and notice this. Isn't this beautiful? Beautiful. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. What does Christian mean? The party of Christ. Christ followers. These Christ people. Why were they given that name? Because no one could figure out what's going on. Jews and Gentiles getting together, united, singing, worshiping and lifting up the name of someone called the Christ. So they called them the Christ ones. The Christ ones. Now you see, that's what the church was at Antioch. That's what the church was. They didn't have the same skin color. They didn't have the same original language. They didn't have the same kind of clothing. They didn't have the same kind of diet. They didn't have the same kind of politics in their local communities. They even didn't have the same kind of music. Can you believe that? Now that's the grace of God. But they were united by Jesus as a worshiping community. And they were a witnessing community. They're telling everyone... About Jesus. They're they're explaining what God is doing. They're just lifting up the name of Jesus. What did we sing is being lifted high. Lifted high. They're just talking about Jesus. That's the character of the church. That is on mission locally and globally. All partitions, man-made divisions... Color, race, ethnic origin, language, socioeconomic level, political party, or no political affiliation. All these things come tumbling down because of Jesus. There's the character of the church. Now, notice into that church, looking back at chapter 13, comes the call. There comes a call to the church. God speaks to the church, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have already called them. I have been calling them, and they are called, is literally how you'd have to translate this. God speaks. God speaking to his church. How does God speak to his church? God speaks by the Holy Spirit who dwells in all believers. All believers share the same Spirit. So he speaks through the common spirit. He speaks through the Holy Scriptures. And he speaks to holy people, not special people, not people that are better than others. But people who are what? Verse 2. Worshipping and fasting. Fasting is always connected with prayer. Listen carefully, church. You can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. You may be on a diet, but that's not fasting. Fasting is always associated with prayer. So they are praying people. And guess what the Lord does? In response to their prayer, he does exactly what Jesus said would happen in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Here they are praying about the harvest. Lord, help us to reach this city. Help me to reach my neighbors. Lord, help me to be a witness To my friends and loved ones. Help me to love people in the name of Jesus. And Lord, send out people. Send us out into this community. Send us out into this region. Lord, let more and more people come to Jesus. And while they're praying that way, the Holy Spirit is sending forth laborers into his harvest. He's the God who speaks. And the church can hear His voice. A church like Antioch. Any church like this can hear His voice. What kind of church can hear the voice of God? A church abounding in the Word of of God, abounding in the worship of God, abounding in the work of God, will know the will of God. Let me say that again. A church that is abounding in the Word of God, a church that is abounding in the worship of God, and a church that is abounding in the work of God, will know the will of God. How many of you recognize God wants you to know His will more than you want to know it? Some of us get so freaked out, wondering what the will of God is, as if we could miss the will of God, like running a stop sign. God wants you to do His will more than you could ever imagine wanting to do it. And if you will worship Him and you will get into His word and you will go about your life serving Him and however you can, He will reveal His will. And I thank God that I don't have to wonder about God revealing His will to this congregation if we'll be that kind of people. There doesn't never need to be in a church. What if, could have been, did we, should we? If we are abounding in the Word of God, the worship of God, the work of God, He will show us the will of God. The church supplies the missionaries. There's the character of the church, the call to the church. Now what's the church do with missionaries? There's the commission from the church. You see this? The church commissions. Verse 3. The Holy Spirit says, Set apart Barnabas and Paul, Saul. Verse 2. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they, that is the church, sent them off. And literally, you know what it means? It means literally to cut or release the cord. You you release them to go. They were released to go do what God had called them to do. The church did this. The church commissioned the missionaries. Friends, I want you to see something here. The Holy Spirit, listen carefully, as He is calling out ministers and missionaries... He does not do that. He does not act in solitude. When the Holy Spirit is calling ministers and missionaries, He does not do that in solitude. The ordaining of pastors and the sending out of missionaries is the church collectively recognizing what God is doing and saying and releasing those people for the ministry. The church releases them. It's not an individual decision. No one has the right to stand up and say, I'm going to be a missionary. doesn't matter what anybody says. Nobody has the right to stand up and say, I've been called to the ministry, and I'm going to go into ministry, and it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. That's that's not the Lord. The Lord does not send out ministers and missionaries... On an individual decision, it is a community confirmation. The community of the faith who recognize the integrity of the men and women, recognize the giftings God has given to the men and women, have had opportunity to observe their faithfulness and their loving kindness. It is the church, and it is the church alone that confirms the call of people to ministry. One of the things you'll see there in the 2020 vision is an empowered church. The church being empowered under the Holy Spirit to discern the will of God and to act under His authority, carrying out His will. Now, who were these missionaries that were sent out? Did you notice? What kind of people get sent out as missionaries? Well, I'll tell you what. Number one, they were busy people. Someone said, do you want to get something done? Find a busy person, give him another job or her another job. They were busy people. Verse 2 says they were worshiping the Lord or they ministered to the Lord. These two were ministering. Saul and Barnabas were busy people. Listen, God is not calling and the church should not be sending lazy people. God is not calling and the church should not be sending lazy people. A person gets ordained doesn't make him suddenly not lazy anymore. Someone gets commissioned as a missionary... They don't suddenly start doing in Europe what they weren't doing in Knoxville. The church should not be sending, and God is not calling lazy people. He's calling busy people. And guess what? He's calling the best people. He called Saul and Barnabas. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got to tell you, if I'd have been in that congregational meeting, you know what I've been saying? Oh, no. Not Saul and Barnabas. Oh no. Oh, the pillars of the assembly. How can we go forward? How can we continue to be successful? If you, These are my two favorites. That's probably what I've been doing. <laughs> probably. Don't laugh. You're in church, okay? <laughs> Here's what I want to say, folks. If we are... Press it into the Lord. We ought to say, Lord, open our hands. Just take whoever. Take, take the best. Take, take the ones. They're yours, Lord. And I want to say something to some parents and grandparents here. Would you offer up your children to the Lord? Are you willing to say of your blessed son or your wonderful daughter, or granddaughter, or grandson, who, yes, you would love to have them next to you and near to you for the next 20 or 25 years, but do you have enough trust in the loving heart of the Lord Jesus to say, if you want them, Lord, they're yours. They came from you. They're yours. Lord, my hands are open. You choose for my son. You choose for my daughter. You choose for my grandbabies. They're yours. The church supplies the missionaries. The church supervises the missionaries. These missionaries were sent out. This is Saul and Barnabas. But guess what? They knew that they went in the authority of the Spirit, but they went under the authority of the church. Now, they're apostles. Saul and Barnabas are called apostles. Which means they had seen the Lord. Barnabas somehow, in some way, had seen the Lord. Paul had seen the Lord. Uh, they, They were commissioned by the Lord. And yet they were under the authority of the local church. Now how do we know that? Turn the page to chapter 14. They went out on their mission ministry. They went up into Turkey. They went up sharing the gospel in the regions beyond. They went to Cyprus. They shared this Wonderful good news. And notice what they did when their ministry was concluding. Verse 26 of chapter 14. And from there they sailed back to Antioch... where they had been commended to the grace of God... for the church that they had fulfilled... For the the work that they had fulfilled, rather. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. We saw that this morning. This is New Testament stuff. You look up on a screen. You hear from Lisa sharing about 16 years of her life. And she's done this before. And she shows you an image. Of tribal people, the door of faith's been opened to them. But here she is back reporting to the church that had sent her out, commended her, as God had called her. That's New Testament. Missionaries do not give and count to 501c3s, parachurch ministries. Missionaries are not sent out by agencies, not in the New Testament. There may be assistance coming from other Christian works, other ministries, but missionaries in the New Testament go out from local church and they come back to a local church where they give account for the work of the Lord. This is New Testament missions. This is cutting-edge stuff. The church supplies the missionaries, supervises the missionaries, and then I can only mention this and we're done. The church supports the missionaries. You have a missionary support letter in your Bible. Did you know that? It's called Philippians. Paul wrote a missionary support letter back to a church that had stood with him from the first day of his ministry. It was a church at Philippi, a church he had founded. He was the founding pastor. But he's writing back to thank that church for their love and companionship. And he says, I thank God, in verse 5 of chapter 1, Philippians, for your partnership in the gospel. The word there is koinonia, your fellowship your fellowship in love and devotion i thank god for your partnership not just for the money that you sent not just that i'm on a list of your missionaries but i thank god i was a partner with you and you've been a partner with me how do we partner with missions missionaries we partner with them financially i want to ask you a question is there a missionary that could send you a thank you letter for your financial support? Is there a missionary that could say thank you for your financial support? Think about how you're using God's resources. Are you seeing that part of those resources go in to global missions through the local church and also through other relationships you may have with missionaries from other churches we partner with church with missionaries prayerfully we pray for them pray for us paul said pray for me paul said we partner with churches and uh, missionaries emotionally we partner with missionaries emotionally ministry ministry is emotionally draining and exhausting ministry is emotionally draining and exhausting there's loneliness there's a sense of isolation there's stress there's fear of failure there's a fear of offending there's a fear of with a sense of inadequacy there's there's challenges to yourself and to your children there's challenges to your parents And it's even harder for missionaries as they return. Did you know it's even harder for missionaries when they come back? Then they have to come back to a different pace of life they've been away from for a few years. They have to come back to a language that's ever-changing and they haven't used for a while. They come back to the madness of materialism that they don't have to face in other parts of the world. They come back to a fishbowl where they're expected to be perfectly, practically perfect Mary Poppins saints. They they come back in their struggle with their children. Their children don't know, well, is that my culture there? Is this my culture here? They, they come back at guilt, at even being back. Why am I back here when millions are without Jesus back where I was? It's called culture shock. We have to emotionally stand with our missionaries. March 4th. March 4th questions. Are we appreciative? Are we sensitive? Are we even interested? Are we invested? Are we involved? March 4th questions. But here's the March 4th answer. You know how you can answer one of those questions? Absolutely, yes. You say, how could you do that? It's quite simple. How? Listen to a missionary of a few generations ago who will tell us, missionary to India, Henry Henry Martin. Listen carefully. Dial in right now. Quote, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. You you see, friends, we don't have to pump ourselves up. We don't have to do all these kinds of things in order to be better missionaries. We don't have to even have the ultimate strategies and plans. We don't have to have all kinds of initiatives. You know what is needed for someone to be a global and local Christian at the same time? Just draw near to Jesus. Just daily draw near to Jesus, and guess what? His great missionary heart will draw you, and your heart will start being His heart. Your eyes will be His eyes. Your mouth becomes His mouth. Your emotions are like His emotions. You just can't quite explain it. You don't know how it's happening. You're just different. And it's all about Jesus. The great missionary. Doing his mission in you. What we need. Is to say to the Lord. As a church. Hear me church. And as individual believers. Tune us. On the one. Great. Tuning fork. A vision of Jesus. Be thou. My vision. That's. The 2020 vision and the 2030 vision and the 22nd century vision. That's a vision for a lifetime, right? And for all eternity when we will look on His face, right?